0: Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. uh yeah. Transcend to another level, gotta push the drive, gotta push the pedal. Kinetic waves, never settle, uh Transcend to another level, uh Transcend to another level. Push it, push it. Gotta push the drive, gotta push the pedal, push it, push it. Push Kinetic waves, never settle push it, push uh. Transcend to another level. It's feeling like the world is in a dying need. Like the last of a dying breed. We in our last days, it feels like Armageddon. Prophetic with the false prophets is all I'm getting. It's that God flow, you know I had to tighten up. People throw a shade, you really need to brighten up. Fuck a copyright, cause some of y'all don't copyright. don't copyright. Most of these clothes blow like a sloppy wipe. You gotta be from the streets, dancer or athlete. Quick to pull the trigger, but you're scared to get your ass beat. Before you know it, you'll probably end up with a rap sheet. Prison over lyricism is everlasting track me Yeah, I swear that some of y'all got Alzheimer's. Y'all fail to recognize when you see an all timer. I've been reflecting since memory 10 on my Pathfinder. Quick reminder, never side with a sidewinder. Uh, yeah, uh huh. Hi, and welcome to the Rational Black Thought. I'm your host, Mike Cheatham, and this is episode number 22. It's March the 6th, and uh, the um, uh, topic for the podcast this week, and also the title of the segment, What's on My Mind, is Why Optimism is Bad for You. And what I'm going to talk about is the stock Uh, Dale Paradox, um, which I had mentioned last week when we were uh, talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect. So, we'll go through feedback, and then we'll go through the segment, What's on My Mind, which I just talked about uh, what the title of that was going to be. Next, we'll go through the news. And in the news this week, we have um, an update on CPAC, uh, which uh, was a complete shit show. If you don't know what that is, I'll get into it a bit when we go through the news. Next, we're going to talk about um, uh, QAnon being wrong again. Uh, they had said that Donald Trump was going to be re-inaugurated as president on March 4th, and that didn't happen, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, that bullshit. Uh, Next, uh, we're going to talk about a Baptist pastor uh, who told uh, wives that they needed to lose weight uh, in order to keep their husbands. And um, continuing with a theme, uh, we're going to talk about a youth pastor that was arrested on child sexual assault charges. Uh, Next, I want to go a bit international, and I'm going to talk about uh, the fact that uh, new families now are awaiting news of 300 uh, schoolgirls that were kidnapped in Nigeria. If you remember sometime back, uh, I think it was in the uh, mid-2000s, uh, um, there were 200 uh, schoolgirls that were kidnapped by Boko Haram, uh, what I would consider to be a terrorist organization, but certainly mer- motivated by religion, in that they are Muslim, and based on their understanding of the Islamic faith, they don't believe that uh, girls should be taught anything. Um, there's some there's some uh, debate about exactly who kidnapped this new batch of girls, but uh But we'll talk about that. I I feel this is just a horrible thing going on in Nigeria. After that, uh, we'll have a quick update on the coronavirus status and uh, what's happening there. And then the last uh, uh, item for news is going to be a a former cop makes a deathbed confession in his role or in, in Malcolm X murder. Now, I'm going to give um, a caveat to that last story even before we get to it. I'm not 100% sure that it's true, and there are multiple reasons why they, why I feel that way, uh, but we'll get into it um, once we get to the news. All right. After that, that'll end the news and then we'll get to the segment. This shit is for us uh, where I provide uh, my point of view about a topic that I think is specific for black people. And what I'm going to talk about this week is the crabs in a barrel phenomenon or um, and that is, if you're unaware of it, that a lot of times people say that uh, that blacks um uh, whenever they see someone, another black person doing well, they try to pull them back in. Uh, and it's based upon uh, some observations of uh, actual crabs and how they operate uh, when they're placed in a bucket. So we'll talk about that. And uh, and then after that, um, we'll close the podcast. Now, um, I am planning to do Bible study with Atheist Mike uh, next week, so uh, we're into the new month as it is uh, uh, March, uh, but um, but I'll hold that off until next week, and I'll give you some ideas about what I might talk about, though I haven't definitively said yet. And in the closing, uh, I'm going to go through an article that I read uh, uh, that was titled, Who's That Lady?, as a question mark, and it, uh, then said, meet Stacy Plaskett. And, and Stacy, uh, Plaskett is, uh, you may remember that I was talking about a black woman from the Virgin Islands that was one of the, um, impeachment managers for Trump's second impeachment. And I was talking about what a great job she did. I had forgotten her name at the time, but I was glad to see this article, article because I'd like to, Just uh, give some information on her, and I I think she's doing a a fantastic job. All right, so that's what we have for the podcast this week. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get the feedback. All right, welcome back. so, uh, for feedback, let's, uh, let's start. First of all, uh, James. James provided uh, quite a bit of feedback. Uh, the first thing is that James felt that the Capitol police officer that I talked about last week should have known what America was like. Uh, and so James didn't really have any sympathy for him at all. Um, and, I kind of agree with James on that. I I thought that the article was good because it was indicative of the fact that um all of those people that are always talking about blue lives matter, uh blue lives don't matter uh when the when those officers are in the way of what they want and they certainly don't matter uh when uh the person wearing the uniform is black. So that just shows to me that blue lives uh, do not matter, um, and especially because black lives do not yet matter. And which is why we need to continue fighting uh, to make sure that black lives do matter. And that brings me to the next point um, that that James provided. He didn't feel that the BLM opening their books was enough, and he still said that they should use the money in a way that he thinks is meaningful. Um, And for me, even if I agree, but I don't, uh, the issue is is that James is not participating in the organization, and him complaining to me does not do anything of value. Um, So... Uh, I mean, I think uh, James felt that, for example, that the couple the couple that I had talked about that donated to Morgan State, uh, they were doing better than BLM. And there were tangible benefits that uh, he could see that they were producing. But again, uh, that's his opinion. But if he's not going to do if he's not going to join BLM and help them run it and tell them how to spend the money or form his own competing organization, then what difference does it make uh so for me it's a, it's a matter of whether or not i think that blm is doing everything that they should do with the funds that they raise i find that to just be immaterial because the bottom line is that i'm not joining the organization i'm not communicating with the organization on what they should do with the funds and so therefore i don't believe that my opinion about it uh, would matter, and and I don't really think that that James's opinion is going to make a difference either. He feels that it's something that needs to be said, but telling me is not going to make a change, so I just don't understand uh, what, um, what he hopes to get out of that. And I'm sure he'll let me know uh, when we talk this week. James also said that um, uh, he is uh, much more intelligent than I am because he's waiting to get this single shot Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine, even though he cannot decide which vaccine he gets. Uh, he, once you make the appointment, um, they'll tell you which one you're going to get when you get there. But it's a matter of taking whichever one is available. But James believes that he's, he's smarter than I am, uh, because he's going to wait for the single shot uh, vaccine, and he thinks that's better than uh, the um, uh, Pfizer and the Moderna va- vaccines, which require two shots. So it, he's going to put himself at higher risk while he waits for that uh, vaccine to be available, and he's going to refuse to um, schedule his appointment until he gets notified in advance that the place that he is going to receive it has the uh, Johnson and Johnson. So if you think that's smarter thing to do, James, so be it. But um, um, I don't agree. And lastly, James said that um he had already knew about the Dunning-Cougar effect, and um he also informed me that it also states that those individuals that are highly competent doubt their own abilities, and I think I did, in fact, mention that in last week's epico- episode. But James said that's uh, describing him because he's so intelligent, uh, that he doubts his own capabilities. Um, however, he's never admitted to me that he was wrong about anything. So I'm not exactly sure how that doubt is showing up in his life. Uh, he certainly doesn't, uh, show any doubt at all as it relates to, um, how he feels, uh, uh, his opinion versus mine. But anyway, I appreciate James. Uh, He's an avid listener and uh, a prolific uh, provider of feedback, and I do take that feedback and uh, try to improve. Uh, One of the other things that James said was that uh, the podcast was trending a bit too long, which I agree. I'm going to try to make it shorter this week, but uh, I'm not really off to a great start so far. All right. So next, I want to go to Kenneth. Uh, Kenneth uh, mentioned that he um, uh, was inspired by the episode where I talked about uh, black wealth and giving back, and that that has inspired him to help uh, young black folk to acquire real estate. And and really, I'm inspired by that. So thanks for that, Kenneth. I uh, really appreciate it, and I think us helping our young black people to understand uh, concepts of money and uh, how to use it and certainly acquiring and investing in real estate is going to be something very, very beneficial. Uh, Kenneth also suggested that I cover uh, all of the angles uh, when I'm doing a, a Bible study topic. And he had mentioned, like when I talked about tithing, and I talked about the, the people that were supposed to pay the tithes, but not about the uh, motivations of those individuals that were collecting the funds. I think that's a good point, and I'll keep it in mind for uh, future episodes. All right, so last uh, on the uh, feedback list is D'Elia. Um, as I had mentioned last week, I asked Dalia to record her poem and send it to me. Uh, and I have received that, so I'm going to try to play that um, as I end uh, this feedback session. And so, after uh, Delia's poem, uh, uh, then we'll take a quick break and get to the episode. What's on my or the segment, rather, what's on my mind?
1: Baddest man, Delia Hutchinson. Though once upon a time, I wagered my very last dime on so-called good men, that's for sure, but that was then and no more. At first I juried and I judged, I scrutinized, criticized, those categorized as the bad guys. But that was then and not again. Naive perceptions, first-time glances, familial lies. Childhood chances opened my eyes and changed my stance from where it once stood before. And so, to even the score, here's what I go searching for. The baddest man to keep that other man away from the door. That's right, to even the score, when good men fail at the chore. The baddest man across the land is what I go searching for. With youthful innocence spoiled, a so-called family life foiled, protectors, a.k.a. the good men, looked away. They recoiled. Despite the violence, they sit in silence, good for nothing but bluffing. When bad guys sneak and creep, it's good guys who won't rise to the challenge. So tell me then, what good then are all the so-called good men for, if all the good men cowered, they do nada and, um, nothing more. That's why, to even the score, I think it's time I explore land of the baddest man to keep that other man from the door. In-house and on the street, the Batman creep felt like a prisoner of war. Despite my non-consent, they forced compliance What do they think no is for? Counterintuitive? Sure. Hair if the dog's been my cure. A chronic malady hijacking me. My freedom, my joy. So now to treat my ailment that the good men seem to ignore. I may just make my way, drive to that local weaponry store. Although once upon a time, I sought out good men for sure. I thought that they would save the day when bad guys creep through the door. But that was then and never again, just as I told you before. Now I'll grab my cape, but all the rate, it's time I even the score. So Mr. Smith, hey, Mr. Wesson, peep that creep at my door. I'm guessing he deserves a lesson, one he ain't learned before. My door ain't locked, no need to knock. I caught you creeping before, and if you please drop to your knees, I'm talking down to the floor. For extra measure, it's my pleasure. You need a teacher? I'm yours. Meet Smith & Wesson and that lesson that you ain't learned before. The end. (laughs)
0: All right, welcome back, and thanks, uh, Dalia, for that poem. I really appreciate it, um, and uh, very good job. All right, so uh, this is a segment of the podcast "What's on My Mind," and um, as I had mentioned before, the topic uh, today is why optimism is bad for you, and actually, uh, why it can uh, get you killed. And So let's get into it. Uh, In his book, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins told the story of Admiral James Stockdale, who was a POW during the Vietnam War. Collins uh, Collins noted that it seemed uh, so bleak, the uncertainty of his faith, the brutality of his captors, and so forth. How on earth did he deal with it? When Collins asked that very question to Stockdale, he replied, Quote, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. End quote. Collins followed up with another question who didn't make it out? Quote, the optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, quote, We're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart, end quote. This is a very important lesson, uh, and you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, uh, which you can never afford to lose. And for me, I, I really wouldn't call it Faith, uh, I would say that it is uh, a hope to a certain extent and an un- and an understanding based upon what you intend to do, uh, but I just don't like the term faith. But uh, what Stockdale said was, you can never afford to 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 lose that faith that you will prevail in the end. But you can't confuse that with a a discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Interestingly, the Stockdale paradox is like uh, the famous psychotherapist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl, uh, his experience um, as he was in several German concentration camps in World War II. And Frankel observed that the death rate in the German concentration camps increased close to Christmas because many people who believed that they would be spending it with their families died of disappointment. Uh, He developed the concept of, quote, tragic optimism, that is an optimism in the face of tragedy, end quote. It refers to the capacity of hope despite and because of tragic experiences, Tragic optimism is predicated on the defiant human spirit, the Nietzschean view that uh, what cannot destroy a person makes them stronger. It has no use for wishful thinking or positive illusions and is based in part on acceptance that enables one to confront the reality of what cannot be changed tragic optimism is similar to the Stockdale paradox in that both express a duality involving the acknowledgement of uh, of the difficulties of the current situation and the positive belief that in the end they would triumph. So what are the implications of the Stockdale uh, paradox? A key learning point of the Stockdale paradox is that uh, the overemphasis on being positive, cheerful, upbeat, and optimistic that we see in today's American culture may be misguided. There is perhaps no virtue more desirable in Western civilization than being positive, and this belief uh, continues today as philosophers, theologians, counselors, and sports psychologists, and the authors of self-help books have placed heavy emphasis on looking on the bright side as a means for achieving uh, personal growth and effectiveness. Um, American pop psychology has always been explicitly positive with, uh, people like Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and indeed we're told that, um uh, if your life does not get better, it is your fault. Your thoughts were not positive enough. And I think that this is, has been um perpetuated now um by uh this whole bullshit law of attraction uh uh craze that's been going on where people keep saying that in order to achieve all you have to do is sit in your house and really, really, really want it. Uh which of course doesn't do a goddamn thing. So uh the fact of the matter is is that uh, all of this is is really problematic and um one of the things that um uh, that that again getting back to what stockdale found uh, was that that over that overwhelming uh, positivity uh is something that um uh, that that can cause you to lose all hope uh and to just completely give up and uh i mean this uh this whole positivity positivity thing has uh crept into every aspect of life uh at one point in time um uh, the, all of the techniques around sales were based upon uh hard facts and spreadsheets and logic and all of that and all of that it was swept aside for this new notion uh that to be a good salesperson or a good manager uh, it's, it's about being, uh, positive and charism- charismatic and to be, quote, a transformational leadership, uh, so that you can keep your, your people, uh, positive and, and looking forward. And, uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that both Stockdale and Frankel, uh, however, uh, say that this is maladaptive and it is maladaptive to have only Uh, optimism and positivity. And this is consistent with um, Daniel's, another author's counsel that uh, to always be positive, metaphorically speaking, uh, is the absolute worst advice you could possibly get or receive. Because sometimes you need to be smacked in the face with, uh, with reality. Blind optimists who think that everything will be fine if they just sit back and have positive thoughts and wait, uh, will be bitterly disappointed. At the same time, leaders should never lose hope that they will overcome adversity in the end, no matter what fate is presented. And Stockdale stressed that the capacity to constructively face tensions, and rather than choosing one perspective at the expense of the other, to incorporate both views simultaneously, that is to be positive, that in the end you will come out, but focus on the reality that things are fucking shit right now and that you have to deal with it. And thus being realistic and at times accepting the negatives associated with the now, uh, and coupled with, with an optimistic, uh, view of what's coming next. Uh, that was a characteristic that, um, Stockdale, um, and the great companies identified by Collins. Uh, in the in his book, uh, held firm to. So the Stockdale paradox and his emphasis on the now and the next has received um, uh, substantial empirical support. And positive thinking or positivity has become more commonplace since Vincent Peel published his classic book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And uh, today, there's more than five million copies of that in print. Uh, and leaders in almost every field of endeavor espouse the power of thinking positively. And this emphasis on uh, positive and being positive continues today, and academia has made room for new disciplines of positive psychology, positive organizational behavior, and appreciative inquiry. But some researchers have found that too much positive thinking can be detrimental. For instance, Von Bergen and Bressler found that with entrepreneurs, too much positive thinking hinders success. Rather, entrepreneurs need to temper their optimism with reality. In business, viewing the world with rose-colored glasses can lead to business failure and financial ruin. And uh, also, uh, Finkelstein uh, conducted, another uh, researcher, conducted a six-year examination of 51 companies And found that executives of failed companies clung to an inaccurate view of reality that consistent and that they consistently underestimated the obstacles. And he noted in his study that the blind adherence to positive thinking became a dominant corporate value that was often at the foundation of organizational failure. So the downside of positive thinking um, has also been documented by uh, many others uh, in areas such as financial, medical, political, religious, and the military. And what is needed is a more nuanced view of positive uh, thinking that involves both, pos- both positive thinking and the future and concurrent consideration uh, or positive thinking about the future and a concurrent consideration of the realities of the present, and that is where uh, the Stockdale's paradox uh, comes in. So what does this have to do with us, and why am I talking about it today? Uh, I think this is relevant on two fronts for us. One, uh, in the area of religion. Uh, Many of us continue to believe and to pray and to have faith that everything will work out, uh, even when uh, the present reality shows everything to the contrary. For example, I once had a conversation with with a Christian believer who was coughing, sneezing, and constantly blowing his nose. And this was pre-COVID-19, so it it wasn't COVID. Uh, But he said to me, quote, I'm not going to claim the flu. And uh, and I replied to him, you know, uh, whether you claim it or not, it is claiming you. You've got the flu, you stupid motherfucker. It's like standing there and claiming that I'm going to be positive and say I don't have it, and that means I don't claim it. So it's what going to go away? That's just fucking bullshit. The other area that I think this comes into play uh, play for us is uh, with our view of racism. Uh, because after the election of Obama as the first African-American president, many of us bought into the lie of a post-racist society and a post-racial society. And we bought into the lie of uh, black progress. So we dropped our guard and we were shocked when Trump was elected in 2016 on a highly racist white supremacy platform. Some were so disheartened that they gave up all hope, and others held on to the idea that we were free, uh, even though multiple killings of unarmed black men and women in 2020 uh, showed again that black lives didn't matter to a wide swath of uh, the American society. So the Stockdale Paradox tells us that though we should be optimistic about the eventual positive outcome... Uh, of our current situation uh we cannot push aside the reality of where we are in the here and now uh and we also need to understand and keep in mind that it might take a huge effort uh and quite some time for things to get better also we cannot buy into the idea that uh as an example that american capitalism is fair and you don't uh, and if you don't achieve in that system then it is your fault uh, because, again, that's what positivity or positive mental attitude and positive thinking, that's what it tells you, that if you didn't achieve, it is because you did something wrong. But we can't buy into that. There is racism in this society and a lot of our highly qualified, highly intelligent, very capable black men and women, they don't achieve because they're held back by a racist society. So they can't just sit back and be positive and think that that's going to go away. Uh, We have to continue to fight against that, and we have to do things to overcome it. So black Americans can achieve success, and they can achieve success as they define it, not as, as it is defined by others, as long as they stay both positive and rooted in reality and recognize reality for what it is and continue to fight against the um disparities uh, that we find in society and the uh the the, the continued um, expression of racism and white supremacy that exists in America today so we can't we can never ever stop fighting against that until it's completely gone And, of course, that's never going to happen in my lifetime, and whether it ever happens ever, I don't know. So we may have to continue to fight forever, but that is the only way that we can uh, continue to achieve and overcome uh, in this society. All right, so that's it uh, for this segment, uh, What's On My Mind. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get to the news. (music) All right, welcome back so as i had mentioned uh, in the intro uh the first thing we have on the news today is a is an overview of cpac and if you don't know what cpac is it's um it stands for the conservative uh, political action conference um and it is a, a yearly celebration uh, I, I don't know what it's supposed to be uh, but essentially, it was supposed to be and it was founded for all of the so-called conservatives to get together and talk about policy and uh, to have kind of a party and a celebration. So uh, this year's uh, CPAC was both a school and a celebration for white wing, wing extremists and also neo-fascists. Donald Trump was a featured speaker, and in that role, he delivered a speech consisting of lies about how the 2021 election was stolen, the same big lie that he's been fucking perpetrating forever. Uh, and he further positioned himself as a shadow president, i.e. that he won and that Biden, uh, stole the election, so he wasn't the, the real, uh, Biden isn't the real president. Uh, Trump came across as a cult leader, a demagogue and a prophet and a kingmaker of the Republican Party. That's pretty much what he said in his speech. And uh, the Republican Party is now just an organization that he hopes to purge of anyone who dares to oppose him. Um, even if they had sucked his dick for uh, five years, uh, as soon as they say one thing that he doesn't like, he wants to get rid of them. So, like I said before, uh, today's political Republican party um, is in fact a de facto terrorist organization. Donald Trump, uh, the twice impeached president, whom Senate Republicans twice acquitted for his crimes, is the leader of this terrorist organization. A group of insurrectionists, a group of uh, people that are attempting to overthrow the government. And uh, Trump, uh, an ex-president uh, he, who, uh, while he was a president, attempted a coup against the American democracy uh, that included a lethal assault on, on the Capitol, and he has absolutely no remorse for that whatsoever. Uh, he spoke uh, in his role um, at CPAC uh, of the leader of this fucking insurgency. Uh, and um, basically everything that he talked about confirmed what the um, insurrectionists were saying, and to me proves without a doubt that they were there on his behalf. And so Donald Donald Trump, uh, I, I don't know why the, the Republican Party is refusing to uh distance themselves from him instead that they they are uh, embracing him even more so um and i guess that that's uh, just going to continue so uh, basically uh the cpac had some panel discussions um uh through their four days and uh the cpac attendees were told that america um is or should be a theocracy uh, and that a right, right-wing Christians are being oppressed in their own country, uh, which is fucking bullshit. Uh, the attendees were also uh, indoctrinated into hatred of the LGBTQ community and people, uh, and basically what they were told was if you're not a white Christian heterosexual, uh, then uh, you are um, uh, not worthy of life in America. So uh, CPAC basically was a confluence of anti-Semitism, white supremacy, racism, and racial resentment. It included white privilege and Christian nationalism, and all of that was shared uh, uh, just abundantly in in all of the speeches and uh, meetings that were held uh, at this uh, fucking event. So um uh, the, the theme, so-called theme of the conference was America Uncancelled. but all they did was talk about a, a bunch of nonsense as it relates to that, uh, uh, like uh, uh, Mr. Potato Head being transgender and all other kinds of fucking stupid idiocy like that. Uh, so again, as I had said before, the Republican Party has no platform. They have no political ideology. Uh, Their entire ideology is hatred and racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and transphobia and everything else. Anything negative that you can think of, that's what the Republican Party is grounded in, and that's what CPAC um, showed us um, this past week. All right, going on to the next story. So, uh, another QAnon deadline passes with nothing fucking happening. And so, um I'm not going to go through a a lot of uh this at the time, but essentially uh if you remember, uh you probably heard that the uh the uh, uh, the, uh they were supposed, the QAnon was saying that on January 4th, uh, that, the, uh, just passed a couple of days ago, that, uh, Trump was going to be, uh, reinaugurated. And the reason that they were saying that was for, uh, some, uh, nonsensical, um, law that had happened in, in the, uh, 19th century. Which they claimed uh, changed the uh, United States from a, a representative democracy to a corporation, and therefore all of the presidents that have been inaugurated post that particular law were invalid. And Trump would come back um, on uh, uh, on the fourth, on March the fourth, which was in the past prior to that 19th century law uh march 4th was the day that presidents had been inaugurated it was switched uh based on that law to um uh to january the and so and so that's why they felt that all of the presidents since um that law was uh that were invalid and that trump would come back right into town into washington uh, D.C. and uh, and then claim his rightful place as the uh, 19th president of the United States at that time. So um, there was a lot of worry about uh, from the law enforcement agencies about what was going to happen. And they had a higher presence uh, protecting the Capitol. But um, uh, none of these fucking idiots showed up, which is a good thing. Uh, and of course, Trump is still an ex-president. Um, it, it, to me, it's like the, these, this QAnon, I can see why so many of the people that believe in it are also white evangelical Christians, because this is very similar to the same Christian bullshit. It's like these Christian prophets can come through their wrong time after time after time, uh, but they keep getting their followers. And so QAnon has been saying that Trump was going to round up Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and a bunch of other people that they were because they were all um, cannibalistic pedophiles who would uh, uh, rape uh, babies and then uh, slice off their faces and eat it in a sandwich uh, uh, every day. Uh, and And so they said that that Trump was going to round them all up, that they were actually going to literally be hung uh, on the town square, and they, these people believed that, and they had day after. day. Uh, date after date after date that they said that that shit was going to occur it never did and uh, but they kept saying that that's uh, what was going to happen and so now even with this last one being that uh, Trump was going to ride back in on March the 4th and take his rightful place as president that didn't happen but I'm sure they'll come up with a new date that means something new uh, to say that this shit is still going to happen Why they keep believing, I'll never know, but they're just like the fucking Christians. And speaking of Christians, let's get to the next story. So, uh, there's this Baptist pastor who told his wives, or told, uh, rather, wives that they needed to lose weight uh, in order to keep their husbands, and um, he has now announced that, or his church, rather, uh, has announced that he has taken a leave of absence. So, uh, Pastor Stuart Allen Clark of First uh, General Baptist Church in um, in Malden, Missouri, has taken a leave of absence at his, and is seeking uh, professional counseling. That's pretty much the entirety of the statement that was put out by the church deacon ministry team tonight. Uh, actually, that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, they did it on the homepage of their website uh, because the rest of their social media remains shut down. Uh, as of this writing, and this story comes from Hammett Mehta at the Friendly Atheist blog. So uh, this comes after Clark went after uh, Clark went viral for all the wrong reasons. Uh, a compilation clip posted on the site uh, from a sermon he gave two weeks ago showed him saying that women needed to lose weight to prevent their husbands from strain, uh, that they should emulate Melania Trump. Uh, whose husband cheated on her all the time, by the way. Uh, And he said, quote, they don't need to look like a butch, end quote. Uh, And uh, he also talked about the fact that a friend of his uh, put his his wife on a divorce weight. And what he meant by that was if she hit that weight, then uh, it was an automatic divorce. So uh, even though the church tried to shut down the bulk of its online presence over the past 48 hours there's still plenty of hints that this misogyny was hardly a one-time occurrence another sermon excerpt from 2 years ago showed Clark saying Clark saying many of the same things including the notion that physical beauty is within the reach of every woman uh by which he means being skinny and nothing else so uh, as and and uh, again if you looked at his picture, which I'm not gonna like be fat shaming people, but this motherfucker has his nerve trying to tell women that they need to lose weight. He needs to lose some fucking weight himself. He's not skinny and he's not a, I mean, he's not the type of guy that I would think any women would be interested in. So, So uh, now since he said all that shit, it went viral, people got pissed off at him and sent him a lot of nasty notes, so now he's decided to say that he's on a leave of absence, probably paid by the church, uh, and that he's seeking professional help, probably counseling in the church, and they're going to say everything you said was correct, you just forgot to say it in your inside voice, you said it in the outside voice, which we don't do that. So you need to come up with some better euphemisms on, on calling women fat and saying that's why their husbands cheat on them. So this is a pathetic piece of shit, uh, pastor. And, um, I, I don't feel sorry for him at all, uh, especially considering that being on leave of absence, uh, is a, a whole lot less than what he actually deserves. All right. Moving on to the next story. Um, a Colorado Springs youth pastor was arrested on, uh, child sexual assault charges. And, uh, I'm not going to go through a whole lot on this story because after all, this is a fucking continuing theme. Uh, I still fail to understand how people can constantly give churches a pass. I mean, the Catholic Church is it, the only thing that it is known for these days is pedophilia. Uh, and, uh, churches, throughout all of the denominations, uh, have this uh, reputation of, uh, of being sexual predators and child molesters. But in this case, police have arrested a former uh, Colorado Springs youth pastor on child assault charges. Um, the uh, uh, Colorado Springs Police Department received a report on the accusation involving Vincent uh, Stitz. Who, who, in September 20, uh, in September 2020, uh, through their investigation, they discovered that, uh, Stitz, a former youth pastor at the Friendship Assembly of God, engaged in a consensual sexual relationship with an underage, uh, female parishioner who had been a member of his youth group in the mid, uh, 2000s. Now, I hate the way that they framed this because they said, uh, consensual, but she's underaged and by law, a child cannot give consent to sex. So even if she agreed, it's still fucking rape. And so why don't they just call it that, uh, in, in this, this article, but the police department are always, if, as long as you're white and a a white male, you're, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. But this guy, anyway, was arrested on February the 24th and charged with, um, one count of sexual assault on a child. Um, uh by a person in a position of trust so uh, hopefully he's convicted and uh, and goes to jail and um, hopefully um he can be on the receiving end of a consensual sexual relationship in prison okay let's go to the next story uh this next one uh it, it really it really affected uh, affect me uh, affected me i uh, And I had heard about this happening in the past, and it was really kind of mind-boggling to me that this even occurred, uh, and there was no real logic to or reason for it at all. Uh, So just this week, um, uh, Nigerian families uh, are now awaiting news of 300 kidnapped schoolgirls. So, more than 300 girls were abducted by gunmen um, last Friday uh, from the government girls' uh, junior secondary school in uh, Jungabi town, Zamfara state in northern Nigeria. The families in Nigeria waited anxiously for news of their abducted, uh, abducted daughters after more than 300 schoolgirls were kidnapped by the government from a government school in the country's northwest north uh, last week. Uh, the latest in a series of mass school kidnappings in the West African nation. Worried parents uh, uh, last Sunday gathered at the school guarded by police, um, and one of them, Ayu um, um, uh, Landon, said that his five daughters, age 12 and 16, were at the school when the kidnappers stormed in, and four were taken away, but one of them escaped by hiding in the bathroom with three other girls. And he said, um, uh, quote, we're not uh, feeling very good because uh, when you have five children and you're only able to secure one, uh there that's good but what about the other four now he said we thank god but i think that's a fucking stupid thing to say but uh, he says we're not happy um i, I mean it certainly having one of his his daughters free is a good thing but is it's it's not It's not good in comparison to the fact that four other daughters were kidnapped. Uh, And why thank God? Because if God could fucking save one daughter, he could save all of them. He could save the entire 300. So this fucking pisses me off that people always want to thank God in situations like this. But um, one of the residents said the gunmen also attacked a nearby military camp and checkpoint, which uh, prevented the soldiers from responding to the mass uh, abduction. Uh, Nigeria's president said that the government's priority is to get the hostages returned safe and unharmed. Uh, but let's face it, um, uh, this happened uh, in 2014 when 276 girls were abducted Uh, by Boko Haram, which is uh, uh, the stupid ass Islamic jihadist. Uh, And of those 276 that were abducted in in, in 2014, 100 of them are still missing today. So so he can talk about that, that that is the president of Nigeria, can talk about that his his, uh, priority is to get these girls home safely. And I, I assume that it is, but He doesn't have a good track record on fucking doing it. And so Boko Haram is opposed to Western education, uh, and its fighters often target schools, uh, especially they don't want girls to be uh, uh, educated. And one of the things that they did, like with, um, it was found out with some of the 276 girls, Uh, like 176 were released, and some of those told that Boko Haram, this Islamic organization, uh, sold them into sex slavery. So they're supposed to be like Islamic, they're supposed to be Muslim, they're supposed to believe in the Quran, but they kidnap these girls because they say that they're being corrupted by Western education uh, and being taught when they shouldn't, but then they sell them out as sex slaves and probably raped them themselves. So this, I hate this motherfucking shit. Uh, And unfortunately there's really nothing that I can do about it. All right. So I'm going to leave that story before I get too upset and um, uh, maybe have a stroke or something uh, and move on to the next one. As it relates to uh, the coronavirus update, Uh, The only thing that I'm going to say about um, the coronavirus cases is that they continue to fall. um, And the number of daily deaths has been going down quite a bit as well. Um, I think, unfortunately, though, that that is putting a lot of us into a false sense of security that we can uh, stop wearing masks, stop social distancing, Uh, or or, and stop um, uh, staying in uh, for the most part and I'm afraid that uh, we're going to start to go out and before long that these trends will reverse and they'll start to go up again I hope that doesn't happen but uh, that's what has happened several times in the past so uh, As you know, um, the last few times I've been trying to make this a bit personal, and so I want to do that again today uh, and talk about a a Chicago comedian uh, that has recently fallen victim uh, to uh, COVID-19. Uh, so according to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, actress and stand-up comedian er- Erica Watson died over the weekend, last weekend in Jamaica, from COVID-19 complications, and she was only 48 years old. Um, uh, her brother announced the sad news on his Facebook page uh, when he said, uh, quote, friends and family, my sister Erica Watson passed away last night in Jamaica uh, due to complications from COVID-19 and um, they, they basically said that uh, they didn't want anyone to uh, call or send any notes uh, as they were trying to make uh, arrangements to bring her home and, uh, of course, ran- uh, make arrangements for the burial. So Watson, whose acting credits and work have been included in Showtime's The Shy, and I don't know if you saw that, but it was a, a pretty good series. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, she also played in uh, NBC's um, Chicago Fire, Spike Lee's feature film Shy Rock, um, ABC's uh, Windy City Live, um, and and several others. So she was an actress, a stand-up comedian, public relations representative, and an activist uh, who attended the Kenwood Academy High School and Columbia College. So, um, you know, again, I just feel that uh, a lot of good people in the black community are losing their lives due to uh, COVID-19. So I also just want to let everyone know and kind of got to it when I was talking about in the feedback session segment, um, I got my first COVID vaccine this past Tuesday, Uh, had no issues with it whatsoever, Uh, little pain at the injection site, but other than that, nothing. Uh, my second shot is scheduled for March March the 23rd. And again, my recommendation to everyone based upon following the science, following the, the, the medical uh, experts, is to, as soon as you can, get the vaccine for COVID-19. Uh, if you're like James and you don't want to do it, so be it. But um, I think that it is something that we should all do. All right. So the last uh, statement or story that I have to go over in the news um, is one about a former cop who made a deathbed confession um, about his role in Malcolm X murder. Now, like I had said in the intro, I haven't I didn't really do any vetting of this story to determine whether or not it was true. I found an article Uh, on the website and read it, and that was as far as I've gone. And as I have said before, um, I don't believe that it makes any sense to believe everything that you uh, hear or see or read on the Internet. So I'm not saying that this is uh, 100% true, but I am going to um, uh, repeat it uh, and ask that others uh dig into the details of this and find out uh, just uh, whether or not this is true or not and just um, what the details are. But anyway, according to this article, Malcolm X's family is asking for a reopening uh, of his murder investigation after the deathbed confession of a former New York police officer who claimed that he, the NYPD, and the FBI were involved in the assassination. The letter was released to the public on the anniversary of Malcolm X's death. The letter, which was written in 2011 by Ray Wood, explains that Wood helped to convince members of Malcolm X's security team to get involved with the Statue of Liberty plot, which they got arrested for days before um, uh, Malcolm X was assassinated. Uh, And supposedly he got them involved in this plot, so that that would leave Malcolm X uh, with less protection on the day that they planned to commit the murder. Wood's letter uh, stated that, quote, the Statue of Liberty bombing idea was created by my supervisor, and using surveillance, surveillance, the agency learned that two individuals, Boy and Syed, were key players in uh, Malcolm X's security detail and it was his assignment, that is uh, Wood's assignment, to draw the two men into the felonious federal crime so that they could be arrested by the FBI and kept away from managing Malcolm X Audubon Ballroom security on February the 21st, 1965. So um, he said, Wood said that he was urged by his supervisors to be at the ball, Audubon Ballroom but not to do anything no matter uh, what happened. And um, uh, he shared that um, uh, he was confessing in hopes of clearing uh, Thomas Johnson, uh, who was convicted uh, of the murder of Malcolm X. And he said, uh, this police officer, uh, Wood, said, quote, I am aging with failing health. Recently, I have learned of the death of Mr. Thomas Johnson, and are deeply concerned that with my death, his family will not be able to exonerate him after being wrongly convicted in the killing of Malcolm X. He also revealed that witnesses identified him leaving the Audubon Autobahn, uh, Autobahn Ballroom that day, but he does not directly say that he was the one that killed Malcolm X. He does say, however, that, um, uh, that the individual... Uh, Thomas Johnson, that was arrested, was arrested to cover up his involvement, that is the police officer's involvement in the crime. So uh, many of his statements leaves people to speculate that he's trying to finger someone else, possibly himself, as one of the trigger men. Uh, And so Malcolm X family has hired a civil rights attorney to uh, demand that the district attorney um, uh, reopen uh, the case. Um, and the last thing they had said about this is that they don't know why the the letter wasn't released uh, sooner so uh, again as i said this is an interesting development but whether it's true or not um, i I don't really know Um, we'll have to wait and see um, if some of my listeners uh, get to the bottom of it and or whether or not anything comes out of it as it relates to a reopening of the case. All right, so that's uh, it for the news. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get to the segment I call, This Shit is for Us. All right, welcome back. Okay, so now we're at the segment I call This Shit is for Us. And um, as I have said in the past, this segment is by me, a black man for black men and women. And again, that isn't to say that if you're not black, it's time for you to uh, skip over to uh, the closing. Um, you can still listen to it, but there may be some nuances to the story that you just really don't get. And so, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, the title of the segment this week is, Are Blacks Like Crabs in a Bucket? And so what am I talking about? Well, the crab mentality, also known as the crab theory, crabs in a bucket or a barrel or basket uh, mentality, um, it it is a way of thinking uh, that is best described by the phrase, if I can't have it, neither can you. The metaphor is derived from a pattern of behavior noted in crabs when they're trapped uh, in a bucket. When any one crab could easily escape, its efforts will be undermined by the others, ensuring that the group's collective demise. So that is, as one crab starts to climb to the top of the bucket, another crab, seeing him get up toward the edge, will grab uh, him and pull him back down into the bucket with the rest of them. So the analogy in human behavior... Uh, is that it is claimed uh, that members of a group will attempt to reduce the self-confidence of any member who achieves success beyond the others, uh, either out of envy, resentment, spite, conspiracy, or perhaps competitive feelings. uh, And they do this to halt their progress. And um, one of uh, the stories that I read about this, the author said that, um, Um, As a boy, uh, he would uh, watch with fascination uh, uh, with crab fishing, was seeing the crabs wandering around in the bottom of a large barrel. Despite their apparent confusion, some would extend a claw to pull back down any crab trying to escape. If a crab eluded the grabbing, then a fisherman would, of course, push it back down as well. So they didn't have a fucking chance because they had... Uh, their own kind pulling them down and people on the outside pushing them down. So borrowed from this scenario is the term uh, crabs in a barrel or crabs in a bucket. And it's application uh, to people um, having a reputation for spoiling something belonging to uh, one's um, uh, uh, confederates or or confidants. To such people... um, uh you know it, it it's 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 really a uh a, a detrimental for all of us when we have people in the black community that act that way so um so what the this author that or the the author of this article that I read he had talked about that he had seen the majority of this behavior in black males uh, that were posing a, a a street mentality um toward other black people incidentally uh, despite not agreeing with um uh, their methods and outcomes um i have a high regard for, of the intelligence of of many of these people this this arthur said Nevertheless, they, uh, may be present, um, in, um, uh, in any, um, rung of the social ladder, uh, and they also, uh, do their spoiling from the bottom up or the top down. And so actually what he was saying, and, and it's like, again, based on what he was talking about on observer, his observations of, uh, while fishing is that, uh, There are a number of of black people, and uh, he's concentrating on black men. I I actually would have to say that I've seen this in in black women as well. But certainly I agree that it's more prominent in black men. Uh, And as an example of one, it would be like this, this uh, Arthur has said, would be like the successful black man who tells a striving youth, I got mine the hard way without any help. And so you do the same. Uh, and he said, uh, quote, these enslaved-minded successful men obviously paid no heed to the painful and miserable struggles of their slave ancestors uh, who paved the way for their climb uh, and uh, then willingly provided their weary shoulders on which uh, their offspring could stand as a means to improve the conditions of all black people. So uh what he what he's pointing out is that there are some black people who get to the top and not only do they refuse to give a hand up to any of the other black youth that are coming along the path uh but they say and do things to actively harm them and he says there's even it, it's even worse when there are certain uh black males who have reached the middle of the social ladder status and all they although they're kind of close with their peers uh on their on their own or even some of the lower uh, social level they become envious of any uh blacks uh whom they deem to be more successful and efficient or effective than they are at something and this is bad uh for the envied black person uh because to be successful in America it necessarily means that a person, apart from the difficulties of the normal path to success, had to undergo a tremendous obstacle of racism. And so to to have that not only not acknowledged by people of your own race, but to have them uh, put you down for it uh, uh, is detrimental to, to everyone. And actually, uh, he goes on to say that it's also bad for uh, the ambitious uh, black person as well, uh, because they will be isolated, they'll be forced to n- make needless mistakes, and perhaps get crushed in the process. So if they had reached out to and uh, been happy for those individuals who had made it, then perhaps those individuals would help them along the same path. So one of the reasons is that that uh, envy serves as a barrier to thinking um, and uh, a barrier to thinking bigger and greater and more profound thoughts. Uh, besides the law, the universe shows that to withhold one's generosity stops the flow of abundance returning to the withholder. Now, uh, for me, I think that that particular statement is uh, a little... Woo, but uh, because I don't really believe in karma, but I do believe that um, there is an optimal way of responding, and you are being suboptimal when you are envious of the success of another person, and you badmouth them and try to pull them down uh, and like the uh, author of this article said that you hurt yourself because now that uh, that other successful black person is not going to be willing to help you and they could probably help you uh, uh miss some of the mistakes that they made and have an easier time to um uh easier time to to achieve your own success so you know how did this crab mentality develop um well it originated during slavery when the slaves as individuals and as subgroups were taught to envy distrust blame and criticize each other. Um and this is the whole um house versus field uh, uh slave etc. And uh, this happened first by being burdened with an extremely limited vocabulary since they were since it was illegal to teach them at that time uh to read and write Uh, they were unable to draw on the words needed to express their fears, rage, and frustration. To vent these mental conflicts, many resorted to violence on each other. And then second, to avoid having to face or defend the bad stuff uh, contributing to their mental conflicts, their weaknesses, flaws, limitations, and incompleteness, some would would attack uh, innocent people, i.e. scapegoats. Um, And then, of, of course, third, and of major importance is that uh, they all felt to some degree impotent regarding the concept of manhood. Uh, And again, he's talking specifically about black males that exhibit this um, uh, crab mentality. So apart from what they were taught by their captors, uh, their thinking abilities were blunted, and uh, the circumstances prevented them from achieving uh, their full potential or uh, exercising their talent. So uh, when this mindset of conflict and a lack of and, and a sense of, of a power was culturally transmitted out of slavery, there was an expansion in how their behaviors were expressed. That is, uh, to appear strong, they or they wanted to appear strong, they were loud, tough, and ready to fight. Uh, and these enslaved minded behaviors were and still are based on emotional impulses without the rational thinking that embraces foresight and forethought. Uh, a mindset in keeping with, uh, their in group level of common sense being at a level below full maturity. So, uh, again, basically what this, uh, article is saying is that, um, and again, he, this, uh, Arthur is concentrating, on this behavior in black men uh, and that it does uh, still exist today, but it is detrimental uh, for those who are successful, those who are attempting to be successful and have made it partway down that path. And those that are still trapped uh, by uh, oppression and race and, and racism and white supremacy, it hurts us all uh it it would be better for us to be collaborative and to uh, think like a like I had said a few weeks ago about the nguza Saba, the seven principles of kwanza and to start talking about things like unity and cooperative economics and uh and and to uh, help one another and so uh, the bottom line that that I just want to have for this is to say that we really really have to start um uh, addressing this. Uh, th- when we see someone exhibiting this mentality of uh, crabs in a bucket behavior, we need to call them out on it. And we need to talk to them about and show them how that is h- hurting them as well as hurting uh, the individual that they're exhibiting that behavior toward. Uh, and like Kenneth had said, uh, he's going to reach back and teach black youths about how to acquire real estate all of us that have some talent, some capability, some level of success that we've been able through hard fought effort to achieve, uh, it is time for us to reach back and give some of that back to those that are coming behind us. So that's the the bottom line uh, for uh, this story. All right. So that ends the segment. This shit is for us. And that is also going to in uh, uh, the um, uh, podcast so what we'll do is take a quick break and when we come back uh, we'll close it out for this week okay welcome back So, um, as I had mentioned in the intro, um, we are going to have Bible study with Atheist Mike um, next week. Um, I received a few suggestions on uh, a topic to go through, uh, but actually the topic that I received, I've already done that uh, with Bible study with Atheist Mike, so I'm still looking for suggestions. Uh, If I receive something... Over this week, uh, that uh, that that steps up uh, and and is a good one, then I will substitute for that. But if I don't get anything, the topic uh, that I'm going to talk about is the story of Noah uh, and his uh, supposed fucking boat. So um, I, I don't have the scriptures in front of me now, but um, I'm sure you'll be able to find that in the Bible. Certainly it's in Genesis, I know that, and so we will uh, go through that and I'll give you some um, a, a bit of information like I always do that um, is a bit different than what the, the typical um, uh, leader of a Bible study session would talk about. All right, so uh, the other thing that um, I wanted to do to close out this week's podcast, and I had mentioned that uh, in the intro, is to talk a little bit about Stacy Plaskett and um uh, and to do that I'm going to read this article that I uh, I found about her uh because I think it says everything that uh, that I would want to say so not many people know who Stacy Plaskett uh, knew who she was before the second impeachment trial of uh ex president uh, Trump but the Congresswoman eloquently but fiercely laid out a, a case of uh, Trump's misdeeds, and many wanted to get to know her better. So who is uh, Plaskett and where is she from? Congressman Plaskett represents the United States Virgin Islands at, at, at large congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. She is currently serving her fourth term in Congress. With Vice President Kamala Harris no longer being a senator, Plaskett is now the only black woman in that chamber. Plaskett made history when she became the first non-voting delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives to serve as an impeachment manager. Even though she argued the case to convict Trump for um, inciting the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, She was blocked from voting to impeach because the U.S. Virgin Islands, the territory she represents, does not have a vote in Congress. In her opening remarks of the trial, she mentioned speaking truth to power. And you'll see that this violent attack was not uh, planned in secret. The insurgents believed that they were doing the duty of their president. They were following his orders, Plaskett said. She further added that Trump spent months cultivating a base of people who were violent, pra- violent, praising that violence and then leading that violence, uh, uh, that rage straight at our door. Uh, she used Trump's own words against him. She said, quote, we're going to the Capitol, Trump said, quote, we fight, we fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore, end quote and even though she helped to stack a case many said was undeniable the gop would not go against trump and he was let off with nothing more than a slap uh, of his republican wrist again but plaskett is being praised for impressive work and she is even more has even more impressive story during journeying from a housing project in brooklyn new york to st. croix the us virgin islands uh, and for this 117th Congress, the members of the House Steering and Policy Committee unanimous, unanimously appointed Congresswoman Plaskett to serve on the House Committee uh, on Ways and Means, the oldest and uh, one of the most exclusive committees in Congress. In true historic fashion, Ms. Plaskett is the first member uh, from a U.S. Uh, territory and fourth African-American woman to serve on this committee. She is also a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, the House uh, Blockchain Caucus, and the New Democratic Coalition, coalition, where she is co-chair of the Infrastructure Task Force. The at-large leadership uh, member, Congresswoman Plaskett, also chairs the Congressional Caribbean Caucus. Ms. Plaskett earned her undergraduate degree from Georgetown University uh, School of Foreign Service and her Juris Doctorate uh, from American University's Washington College of Law. Congresswoman Plaskett has a long history of public service, having started as Assistant District Attorney in Bronx DA office, as well as having worked as a political appointee at the Department of Justice. And most importantly, Plaskett is a wife and the mother of five. So again if you didn't see um her uh during the impeachment trial you should go back and watch it she did a masterful job she was great uh she is a uh I think a role model for black women um and uh, I just wanted to uh close out the podcast but podcast by giving her a shout out and going through uh, some of her accomplishments All right, that is it for the podcast this week. I want to remind you that the intro music is Transcend by K-I-R-K. The outro music is Ending by Micaiah Beats. This podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, and many other platforms. Please subscribe and leave me a five-star review. And I'll leave you with this quote from Frederick Douglass where he said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, and it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. All right, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep fighting for our right to be black and beautiful.